part of Geek Freaks Podcast Family. In this podcast, we review episodes of Star Trek, starting with the original series. My name is John, and I'll be one of your hosts, joined by my good friend and co-host, Kevin. Hey, everybody. How's it going, Kevin? Oh, it's going great. Awesome. What episode are we reviewing today? Today, we're talking about episode 20 of season one of the original series, Court Martial. Nice, nice. I'm excited. Did you like this episode? How did you feel about this one? Yeah, uh, I like... Uh... Yeah, I've I've liked this episode and episodes like this quite a bit more than the than the ones that I really rail on. If you want <laughs> one to listen to me rail on for a while, last week's episode was definitely not so good. This one I, I've liked it a lot more so far. Yeah, all right, all right. I feel like this is more of the middle of the aisle. It's not one of my favorites. It's a little bit slow, but it's also yeah, not not one that we could pick apart as uh, aggressively. I think. Oh, but we're gonna still pick it apart though. Yeah, I'm we'll sure there's best. gonna be stuff. Yeah. <laughs> We will make you hate Star Trek by the end of the series. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, all right, but before we dive into our Warp Speed recap, I got a question for you, a very difficult question. Oh, shoot. Let's go. All right. In an enlightened future, like Star Trek, uh, what would you do with criminals? What kind of you know, justice system would we see? Okay. So a lot of Star Trek has answered this to some degree. Uh, we've talked about... Uh, on. on Episodes past of Trek Freaks, we talked about like O'Brien with his living a whole prison sentence in his mind. We talked about uh, people wiping their memories from a past episode of Star Trek, the original series. Um, I think they kind of answered a lot of it with penal colonies and their interpretation of penal colonies on Star Trek, specifically with Tom Paris and Voyager. Mm-hmm. Um, it was more of like a peaceful prison sentence and allowing for rehabilitation and for people to better their lives so that they can reintegrate into society as a productive member of society. Also, I think Star Trek without having money or any kind of monetary anything, at least in on earth or to do with the Federation that ends a lot of the, the the reasons why people do bad things. Mm -hmm. So I think that that would go a long way toward not needing as much of a harsh uh, criminal justice system. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Having that foundation up front and, you know, everybody kind of understands what the expectations are. There's uh, still going to be crimes of passion and, and that yeah. kind of stuff. And that should still probably still come with prison sentence. But prison doesn't need to be what we have it as today, per yeah. se. They don't need to live in squalor for the rest of their lives. They should be able to not be able to interact with society, of course, mm-hmm. if they do, you know, really horrible things like murder, et cetera, et cetera. But there should still be some quality of life that they don't just want their life to end. Yeah. See, I think we should have a variety of options because all of the things that we see, um, I think, could benefit. A certain case uh differently so like we've had you know people that get brainwashed and stuff like that if somebody who's really has like a lot of mental turmoil or you know does feel like they're they're mentally broken and they need help we could you know send them to therapy and counseling and stuff like that but maybe rewiring their brain is something they would choose that they would want so having that as an option like hey you know you committed these crimes we know you want to you know reintegrate with everybody you know right away you don't want to be locked up in prison forever or something like that uh, so if you choose to, we can go through this process that will, you know, separate the, the bad thoughts or whatever it was that we can isolate once it's all, you know, all developed and tested effective, uh, <laughs> to, we can take out the bad stuff from your brain and keep the good stuff and you should be happy and, and safe after that. But that would just be one option. If somebody doesn't want to go be lobotomized, then you can choose to be in a, like you said, a, a rehabilitation colony. So all these you know, people that are a danger to others go together, summer camp, you guys are gonna learn how to be friends again. And then once once they've proven that they could be safe, they can reintegrate. Or the third option that I I like and I think a lot of people would like is you can be banished from Federation space and just be, you know what, we're not gonna you can go hang out with Romulans or go to another, you know, galaxy if you need to, uh, but you're gonna be discharged from our space if that's gonna eventually build up to be a large group of people that rebel and want to cause a war with us. That's a different story than we fight, but at least they can go on and live their lives away from us. There's some other ramifications to that last one. Yeah. Um, 
not just them like rebelling at some point, but if they're a Federation citizen and then they're banished from Federation space, mm-hmm. people that aren't part of the Federation are going to see them as if they are, and it could give a bad name to the Starfleet and to the rest of the people that are actual law-abiding citizens within the Federation if they go and wreak havoc on another side of the galaxy. I see what you see, and they would pose as Federation because they, they know their terminology and all that stuff. Yeah, if I mean, if they see a human, they're going to think it's a Starfleet officer. That's probably going to be most people's first reaction on a distant star because that's who they see are Starfleet officers from Earth. Hmm. So if it's a human, then they'd be like, oh, it's Starfleet stealing from us. And that yeah. could cause a whole lot of other stuff. That's true. They'd have to find a way to clearly differentiate themselves or make sure that people know that, I don't know. People that don't dress in our uniform aren't our people or something like that. <laughs> right. There's also uh, that episode of, maybe it was more than one episode, but uh, Voyager where Tuvok was trying to rehabilitate a guy using Vulcan mind melds and meditation. Yes, yes. Oh, gosh, I don't remember I don't remember the actor's name, but I remember he was also on Lord of the Rings. Uh, his worm, worm tongue, I think. Anyways, but yeah. His, uh, gosh, I can't even remember the character's name. Was like I don't either, but he was very well played. The actor was really good. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. That was, that's a good... It's a few episodes too, because I remember uh, he learns to control himself and and you know I don't know uh, fights his his desire to kill. I guess is what it was. Uh, he was a Maquis member, and but then uh, yeah. after he goes through all that, they the ship gets taken over by um, Cardassians or something like that. Or, no, no, no. Um, the Kazon, the Kazon probably. That's it. Yeah, Kazon. And so he has to take it back over, and so he has to kill to do it, and it's like. You see him break mentally, like, oh my god, I fought so hard to be able to overcome this this desire to kill, and then now I have to do it again, but with good purpose. Like, it's like heartbreaking to see him struggle with that. So that's it. I can't wait till we get to that episode. At the expense of this going on for far longer than it needs to, there's also a good episode in uh, Deep Space Nine where Dax deals with one of her past hosts mm-hmm. that was a murderer, and. He, she has to get inside the mind of a murderer so, so she calls out that past host to the surface to try to do this whole murder investigation thing and it's really good Star Trek's great let's <laughs> rip this one to shreds though I'm ready all for right. it <laughs> alright all right. All right. let's go to our warp speed recap the Enterprise encountered a terrible ion storm though the ship survived one crewman did not Lieutenant Commander Ben Finley as they stop at Starbase 11 for repairs, Kirk submits the report of the incident to be logged with Starfleet as is regulation. However, there's an issue. The computer report, the computer's report, and that of the captains do not match. Is he lying? Did Captain Kirk actually intend to kill one of his crewmen? Commodore Stone will see to, uh, to a proper court-martial. His prosecutor, a long-lost love, presents indisputable <laughs> video evidence showing Kirk pressing the wrong button. Uh, Kirk, uh, almost doubting himself, fears he may lose this after all, when just in time, uh, Spock swoops in with a logical uh, evidence that proves the ship's computer is not as reliable as it should be. Someone has tampered with it, but who? Only three of, three of these people have access to modify the ship's memory banks, Kirk, Spock, and their records officer, Mr. Ben Finley. Perhaps he's still alive. Uh, bringing the court to the bridge of the Enterprise, and the crew to the starbase, they conduct a little experiment. By listening to heartbeats, they were able to confirm that someone unexpected was aboard the ship. Unmanned, the starship begins to decay in its orbit as Kirk searches for Finney. When, the, when he finds him, Finney explains that he has sabotaged the ship and it will decay uh, into the planet's gravity even faster than expected. Kirk tries, to, tries uh, diplomacy, but to no avail. As they fight hand-to-hand, Finney eventually gives up and explains to Kirk what he has done. The court finds Kirk not guilty, and the Enterprise is released to continue their mission. So that was an interesting episode. It kind of divides into two big portions, I think. The whole first half was the trial... Uh, on the starbase, and then the they move on to like the experiment on the ship once they realize that they think Finney's alive. Yeah, it felt like the court kind of gave a lot of leniency to be like, okay, yeah, let's all go to this guy's bridge. Right? It didn't it didn't seem right? But yeah. it's and when the the woman, um, I can't remember her name, the prosecutor, 
She was Oriel, I, I think. Oriel or Ariel. It was a real A R E E L. Okay. I spelt it weird in my notes anyways. <laughs> but uh, uh when when she was like in the courtroom trying to, you know, bring evidence against him and stuff, there was like a lot of a lot of times when it seemed like, you know, she was being favored or she was giving more more leeway than the defense. But it was just like, okay, this is for excitement, it's to move along the court case, but it didn't seem like like actual proper court uh, proceedings, I guess. Well, it also seemed like uh, Kirk's lawyer was like not taking it seriously for a while. Because when we're introduced to him, he's got books everywhere in, a, in an age where everybody uses computers. And then he refuses his right to cross-examine the mm-hmm. first three witnesses. So it kind of seems like that he's not taking it seriously. So why take him seriously? Right. It's not the right thing to do, but that's probably how they viewed it. <laughs> yeah. All right, so we open on the captain's log. Uh, they're talking about the ion storm, one crewman dead, and that they're stopping at the starbase. Uh, I do like when we see the ship. Uh, this must be part of the remastered. I don't think they would have done this originally. Oh, but man. Yeah, it, look, it looked really clean, right? You see the hole in the, the side of the ship where, you know, obviously in this ion storm they took damage. Um, yeah, so... I'm very glad that you brought that up. The very first scene on that planet was so good. Like, I'm like, this has, my first thought was this has to be just exclusive to the remastered version. Cause when they like zoom into the building, the background looks nowhere near as good outside, yeah. like through the windows. <laughs> I'm like, oh man, this looks really, this looks like something you'd see out of like the prequel Star Wars films, like in mm-hmm. the 90s. Yeah. That's what it made me think of. Maybe not quite as good, but. Yeah, I love that they're remastering these. I kind of feel bad that I haven't seen it before the remaster, and sometimes I want to ter- at least take specific scenes and compare them side by side. Maybe we'll do that down the road too. Like, what are your the like top five or whatever remastered shots, and we'll actually show people like this is an amazing difference from old to new. That'd make a good TikTok video too. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, all right, so then in Starbase Eleven, I also noticed I think this set of of the office that they're the uh, Commodore Stone's office. I think it's the same set that was used uh, previously in the Menagerie uh, when they were at a Starbase, or I think it was Colony or Starbase, one of those. Um, and was it? I remember his name was Jose, the captain. Uh, that was actually an illusion. Uh, went with Kirk. They went in the shuttlecraft to try to catch up the Enterprise. Uh, his office, I think, was that same set. It looked at least very similar. Yeah, I. I don't remember a whole lot about that episode because I wasn't on the Trek Freaks episode of that. So. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. That was kind of one in, one out for me. Yeah. But, it was, I mean, it, obviously they reused a lot of their sets, but behind him in this one was a, it looked like a, just a paper chart, but I think they were wanting us to assume that was like a big screen uh, that showed all the ships that they were working on at the time and the progress of them. And so I thought that was kind of funny that, it, to me, it looked like it was just like a printed, you know, project board or something, but I think... Yeah, they, it didn't even didn't even cross my mind that it could have been anything other than just like a big piece of poster board. Yeah. I mean, like, do, I, I, do they print it and repost it, like it every day? <laughs> <laughs> right. Or, or like, I, I assume that they use like marker or something. Oh, yeah. Or magnets. That, yeah. I think if they just backlit it a little bit, like put, put a panel of light behind it and we totally could have believed that was an actual live screen, but. Oh, yeah. It did not. <laughs> but. <sorry. laughs> Um, so Spock was late too. So here, uh, Kirk is giving his sworn deposition of what happened anytime, apparently what we hear from here, anytime a crewman, uh, dies in an incident or whatever, they have to obviously log a report about it. So Kirk is submitting his report here to a third party with Commodore Stone at this space station, uh, to be submitted to, uh, reviewed and submitted to Starfleet. But, uh, it takes his written report and a log from the computers and so kirk is bringing that or sorry spock is bringing that uh, he's late uh but then once they compare the two once commodore stone reviews the two reports he's like wait a minute this doesn't make sense you guys are saying two different things uh do you so what do you think i have a, a theory but why do you think uh spock was so late he was like 10 minutes late to to bring a you know a file when they have transported technology, so it should have been there in seconds. I, I imagine since they didn't explain it, that it had to do with the discrepancy between what Spock knew happened and what the computer said happened. And he was trying to figure out some reason why and that he couldn't find a reason. So he's like, all right, I'm going to turn it in and do my job. 
Yeah, that's what I figured too. I was like, because that look on his face too, he was concerned when he, he was handing it over and he wanted to explain to Kirk what he'd seen, I think, but he was interrupted by the Commodore who just snatched it out of his hand and went to go put it in. So I think he was probably standing at the console, like trying to make sense of this, like, wait, how can this be? This isn't really what happened, but he couldn't figure it out, like you're saying, and just had to hand over the evidence. Uh, we also see Finney's daughter comes in super upset. Uh, it's interesting to find she was named Jamie after James T. Kirk because uh, Ben Finney and Kirk were good friends back in, in school. Uh, but yeah, she's super mad, comes in crying and ranting and uh, beating up on Jim, trying to blame him for her father's death, which rightfully so at this point, you know, we don't know that he's not guilty. I want to circle back to her later, like when she comes up later. There's some there's some stuff about her that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But uh, So let me see our intro. That I don't know. I think I've mentioned this before, too. Sometimes, and it might just be me, might be my headphones, might be what TV I'm watching on. Sometimes in the intro, I can't hardly hear the monologue. Uh, I can't hear Kirk speaking in the background i can almost like rarely hear it or it's real faint so i noticed that again in this episode but i don't know maybe it's me maybe i'm using one headphone and not the other or something no i've i've noticed that too it's it might be something weird with the remastered versions oh, okay so it does like, it changes between some episodes right yeah and i know that there's a lot more editing in some of the episodes for the remaster than than others so that it might be the ones that have like higher like more attention paid to them with the remaster just for some reason got a weird version of the, the audio intro. Okay. yeah all right so then after that uh after the intro we come back and uh commodore stone's reviewing the or not reviewing he's sitting down with kirk and doing like a initial interview to determine uh if this is warrants a court martial or not and so kirk kind of walks through his side of the story uh so I'll just explain briefly how it went. They encountered an ion storm. Uh, Finney was next on the duty roster, and they needed someone to go into this ion pod, I think they ended up calling it, but this pod. And, uh, you know, I, I assume it's to, like, monitor the sensor readings or something, but he has to go into this pod. Uh, and, and Kirk signaled a yellow alert, saying, you know, this is, this is getting dangerous. But Finney knows, as we, you know, theorize or understand, Finney knows that a red alert means you have to get out of that pod and get back to a certain station or safe place, whatever. Uh, as far as Kirk says, once he signaled the red alert, he had seconds to get out of there. And Kirk gave him those seconds and more, but then eventually had to jettison the pod. Then uh, he realizes they you know, later search the ship and find that Finney's gone. So they think that he was in the pod when it was jettisoned and now he's dead in the ion storm. Uh, but the evidence that the computer provides shows that Kirk jettisoned the pod when they were still in yellow alert, not red alert. So Finney didn't have that time, supposedly, to get out. So I thought it was very strange that they used, like, video evidence. Like, it, it makes sense that they've got security cameras on the bridge to make sure, for situations like this, that they have the video evidence of it. But it's... Like it's the, the change in the angle and being able to zoom in and stuff. I understand it's like sci-fi technology, but it still doesn't make any sense to my 21st century brain yeah. how they could just zoom in on his hand and why that jettison button's there to begin with oh, on, next to his hand that was next great. to red and yellow alert. It makes no sense except for this episode. And also he gives the command when he's changing alert, right? He'll tell somebody else yellow alert and yeah. they'll hit the button. He doesn't have. So on his console, you guys see if you watch the episode, he has. He has, I think, four or five buttons, but the first three are labeled, so the other two, Lord knows what they do. But for this episode, the first three are labeled. First one's yellow alert, second one's red alert, and then the third one is jettison pod. <laughs> so, apparently, this is a very common act that they have to do is jettison this pod whenever something happens. And uh, what the, what yeah. the heck is the pod even used for? Like, right? I, I don't understand. They don't explain it very well. I thought that was really weird that this guy needs to climb into this dangerous piece of equipment, but it might have to get jettisoned if it gets too dangerous like that's i think they could have written that a little more clear a little bit better structure behind you know how he ended up dying i get like if he was i don't know servicing uh one of the, the shuttlecrafts and then they needed to you know vent one of the cargo bays so they had to hurry up make sure everybody was out of it but he was still in the shuttlecraft or something like that but then he should survive because it's a shuttlecraft they could beam it back on it maintains right. its own atmosphere anyways 
<laughs> going way Unless too- that's why it was being repaired, just because it didn't have its own atmosphere. It uh, had like a, the the, win- the front window was blown out or something. Right. But anyway, yeah. He's it, over there replacing the glass and then all the same. <laughs> <laughs> no, five more minutes. <laughs> oh, that'd be great. Uh, so, so he gives his, his statement or, you know, his breakdown and it doesn't match the computer logs. So that's when Stone says, yep, we're going to have to do a official court martial. And they kind of, they're getting heated back and forth because Stone uh, wants to cut to a plea deal. He wants to give Kirk options like, hey, you know, I know how it is. We're both captains. You get stressed out. You get overwhelmed. Like, we make mistakes. It looks like right here you made a mistake. I just need you to admit to it, and we will we'll, we'll try to bury this. We'll try to, you know, give you the minimum sentence and sweep this under the rug. And, yeah, you'll lose your captain's chair, but you'll still have a nice desk or something. Uh, but Kirk's like, no, 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 no. That's not going to happen. I'm innocent. Uh, you know, we're going to fight this one out pretty much. And so they call a general court-martial. Uh, so then we go to what I think is the Starbase bar. <laughs> we see people with drinks the whole time. Uh, but I don't know, maybe, or just a lounge, I guess. That was pretty interesting. I don't think we've seen a bar. Well, maybe we have. I don't think we've seen a bar yet in Star Trek. They did a great job of making it look like a, a 23rd century bar, though. <laughs> like, right. It, it, it kind of was reminiscent of 10 Forward from the next generation because yeah. they've got the their bar on the enterprise in, in tng uh that's what this reminded me of i think the only other time we see like a kind of bar thing that i can remember in the original series is later on in the series with the uh the triple episode mm. on deep space k7 they're at a bar yeah. and there's a, a fight that breaks out and everything but even that looks like just like a mess hall that serves alcohol so they did a really good job on this set i think yeah it looked it looked looked legit so the, uh, here we see uh, the guys, the the guys that are hanging out at the bar. His former uh, fellow students, I guess they all went to to the academy together. They're kind of giving a hard time, like, "Hey, you know, you pretty much saying you killed Finney and he was one of ours, so we're mad at you right now." With less words than that, and he's trying to tell them, like, "Oh, well, speak plainly. You can you can say what's on your mind." But they're trying to beat around the bush. Uh, anyways, they're they're trying to cause problems. He leaves, but uh, we see you said it's. Ori- I, I wrote it down as Oriel. I don't know. It must have been Ariel? Ariel? His yeah, uh, prosecutor. Like so she was there to find him. And I'm sure she, she saw his name on some paperwork. And uh, wanted to talk to Kirk about uh, what was going on. But we find out that she is going to be... She's his long-lost love from many moons ago. Uh, but she is going to be the prosecuting attorney. And so she has to, you know, find evidence against him. And How... Okay. How is it that like every other episode we come across another long lost love <laughs> of Kirk, and not just that, but they're still cordial, like yeah. they still get along every time. How is he so good at that? Like I imagine most men that you know fall in love and then leave the woman a week later, leave them in, in on a bad note. Like right, they're gonna be throwing a shoe at you if they see you at, at Subway or whatever. Like it's right. not, not gonna be great, but. I know the thing is always, oh yeah, we'll we'll try to stay friends. It's okay. We'll do the the grown up thing and still be friends. That's never the case. That doesn't happen. Yeah. If like, it does, even for a starship captain, you wouldn't think, especially for a starship captain whose only love is his ship. Yeah. The only thing I could think is all these women are madly infatuated with him, and he doesn't he doesn't go and seek. He doesn't have to do anything to lure them in or convince them to you know stay with him. Or anything. Women are just attracted to him naturally, and he's like, "Well, I'll give you some of my time and spend a little bit of time with them, and then move on." Just like a, a celebrity, imagine, you know, George Clooney walking through a crowd of women. He could just, you know, pick which one he wants to go have dinner with, and then afterwards, yeah. when she goes home, she's going to tell all her friends, and she's not going to be mad at him. She's not going to say, "Oh, he's a douchebag because he didn't call me the next date." No, he's George Clooney. You got, you know, you got your one dinner with him. You're, that's all you get. <laughs> so I don't. I, know. I guess that makes sense. It just doesn't make it feel any better, you know. Right. <laughs> I want to. I want to try to save his reputation and say he's not a douchebag, just dropping these ladies off all the time. But, but so he also kind of supports that. Oh, you know, she was my love. Like we have this romantic relationship. So he always, with all these different women that he spends a short amount of time with, apparently, uh, he still maintains that it was a romantic relationship and everything. So I don't know. But uh, anyways, she is his prosecuting lawyer. Oh, to your to what you're saying too. I love that Bones points out to her. He's like, 
oh yeah, all of my all of my old friends or whatever look like doctors, and all of all of uh, Kirk's old friends, James' old friends seem to look like you. And I'm surprised <laughs> she didn't take any kind of offense to that because it's like, oh, so I'm not the only woman in his life. Like he, <laughs> he has a lot of attractive women just coming around all the time. I see how it is. Now I feel like yeah, chop how- liver. <laughs> How many others look like me? Yeah. That's <laughs> the first thing that I would be asking. Yeah. <laughs> like, how do I look? What is the signature of a Kirk woman? And how many are we talking? Yeah. <laughs> a dozen? A hundred? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, okay, so at this point, she uh, recommends to Kirk, because he, he needs legal representation, uh, she recommends uh, Cogley. And so... I think he said that he was going to come by. So he, yeah, he, oh, he made himself at home actually in his quarters. He came up and, and sees he's got books, just stacks and stacks of books instead of using a computer. And they, they talk about this a little bit. Instead of using a computerized system to track all the legal decisions that were made in the years and stuff, uh, he still relies on old school paperback or, you know, paper bound books. Uh, yeah, how convenient is that for Kirk though, that, the the lawyer who's against computers just happened to be in a case, uh, happened to be representing him in a case basically against a computer. Yeah, that's kind of. Funny. It, it seems a little too convenient, and maybe that's why uh, Ariel or whatever her name is referred him. Yeah, maybe. Maybe that was why, but I don't think she saw the computer as the prosecution. Yeah. So I and I don't know. A little too convenient. How hard must it be to move? All those books, right? <laughs> uh, pretty easy when you got transporter technology. Yeah, true. You could just beam them straight <laughs> to his office. So that just that line right that made me think. I wonder. I mean, we don't see it in Star Trek, but with the transporter technology, if you could condense it enough, I guess, because it probably takes you know an entire room and a person to operate. But if you could evolve transporter technology into a mobile version, imagine if you can take stacks of books and digit, you know, digitally break them down into the atoms into something the size of your phone you can put in your pocket and then you get somewhere else and you unload it and then they all be rematerialized in front of you. I'm kind of impressed with this is neither here nor there either, but um, this Star Trek Discovery, the way they've taken transporter technology, because in the season four premiere, they just, everybody's just, they don't use transporter pads. They're just like, they, instead of walking out of a room, they turn around, start walking away and disappear. Oh, wow. and they're immeah. where they need to go. Oh, it's yeah. kind of it's part of their com badges now, right? It's, it's something like, like that. that. Yeah. yeah, like it's it's way too convenient, and uh, the ramifications are terrifying. Mm-hmm. But it's also it looks really cool. Yeah, it looks very futuristic. And I like that that we see the same thing in a lot of superhero movies too. I like how they like keep growing and expanding on it, but there has to be like hard limitations too, like rules that we know we have to follow, and then occasionally we can break them in certain situations. But yeah. they got to be careful when they keep advancing, you know, future tech to a point where, you know, we have no need. Like, there's got to be a battery or something like that on those, <laughs> <laughs> that, you know, runs out so that we're like, oh, crap, but we still have this limitation. But, mm-hmm. yeah, I like it. I like, <laughs> I like transported technology in general. Uh, okay, so we go to the courtroom <laughs> after all that. He's got his, he got his lawyer, uh, the, his ex-girlfriend is prosecutor. Uh, so he pleads not guilty, and there's big, like, suspenseful music and stuff to that. Uh, so Spock and Bones come up and defend him, you know, one by one. They're, they're questioned by the, by the uh, prosecution. And like you said earlier, the, his attorney, the defending attorney, doesn't cross-examine, doesn't ask any questions of them. And there's also a woman, I don't remember her name, but she was the, um, not records keeper. She, she managed, all, she's like HR, managed all the personnel files, I think. Uh, and she explained the argument or the dis- the disciplinary action in the past that would have led to Finney holding a grudge against Kirk, which was uh, long ago Finney was like on the bridge, was manning the bridge uh, or something like that, and left a circuit open to the nuclear fuel deposits, I think it said, uh, which I'm pretty sure is like he was filling up the gas tank and didn't put the gas gap back on or something. <laughs> and so there's you know, dangerous fuel exposed. And uh, because of that, when Kirk took over, he had to close that circuit and made a law like, hey, yeah, this thing got left open. Well, apparently that was a big deal. And the guy got reprimanded for it and just looked bad on his record. And he thinks because of that is why he's never been promoted since then and hasn't, you know, raised to be a captain where 
now you know Kirk has, and he serves under Kirk, so that's uh, potentially a grudge that he holds against him. We don't really so, know, but that's what we're presuming. Let me ask you this then: What do you think is worse, Kirk actually turning the guy in, or like filling out the report and like throwing the guy under the bus, or not doing it and letting the guy get promoted? And this guy who leaves basically a nuclear gas cap off um, ends up being able to promote to captain. Yeah. And it could cause more trouble. Like, how do you weigh the pros and cons of that? I, I think Kirk made the right move. Yeah. I mean, when in doubt, you just got to follow the hard written line and, and do what do what is code or, or, you know, regulations, what's been agreed upon. But I don't know. It depends on how it, it sounds like they were really good friends at the time too, especially when his daughter refers back to the letters that, that he'd written to the family and stuff. So I would have at least once, you know, you put the gas cap back on, you don't file a report and you tell your buddy, hey, dude, you left this thing off. This could have killed all of us in five minutes. Like, you really cannot do that. I'm going to, you know, let it slide this time. But if, if anything like that happens again, like, I have to file a report because it's just isn't acceptable. And like, understand I'm going to be even watching you closer than normal. So be prepared. But. This just can't happen. And I'm, you know, I'm doing this out of, you know, because we're friends, I'm not going to let anybody else slide like this. I don't want, I don't want a soul to die <laughs> kind of thing. But yeah, I, I, I think, I think that crosses a line when people's lives are at stake. Like I, people at my job, they sometimes leave the doors of a vehicle, a company truck unlocked or something or the lights on or something. It's like, yeah. oh, well, I'll just fix it this time and not tell anybody. But if it was like, no, the truck was running and it was inside a building and somebody was sitting in there and it could have caused harm to somebody. It's like, no, I'm going to tell somebody because this cannot happen again. That's true. Even if it was my best friend or, you know. And this, I, this whole episode does kind of walk that line of like, you know, liability and responsibility and how, you know, if you press a button at the wrong time or whatever, you could kill, you know, everybody that's on the ship or, you know, even one crewman. Like, you can't, you can't, uh, I don't know how to say it. Like, you can't leave that variable open and to just make the decision at a whim, you need to make your decision based on years of experience and training and following, you know, the rules and the code of how a captain is expected to conduct. I don't know if this is in your notes later on or not, but uh, Kirk also says in this episode that nothing is more important than the ship. Yeah. That's not in my notes. There's a lot of stuff not in my notes actually in this episode. So <laughs> be prepared. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I remember that too. And I, how do you think that came across to the court? Because to me, that seems inappropriate, and it seems like it would show poor leadership in a captain. What do you think? I, I don't know, because the, the court, there's no like jury of his peers. I mean, they're his peers, because they're all Starfleet uh, captains and admiralty. Mm -hmm. So they've gone through the captaincy of starships before, and probably all feel very similarly. So if he didn't say that, it'd probably be... It probably reflects more poorly on him than if he didn't say it because as a starship captain you're supposed to think about the ship and its mission before the individual crew members yeah that's I, true but so I, I mean that's kind of the same in almost any military position though i mean you obviously don't want anybody to get hurt or die yeah. in the line of duty but it does happen mm -hmm. and the mission comes first yeah so that's a good point and i i think to me, it's, it's the ship. It's a tangible like thing versus lives. And I think the way he's saying it or the way it's used in their you know culture when he's talking about the ship, he doesn't just mean the, the vehicle. He means the right. vehicle and the crew members that are aboard at the 280 or 400, however many. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I think it... But it, also you know, the mission that goes along with the ship. Yeah, yeah. And it's responsibility, yeah. So yeah. I think it's all encompassing, even though like to me at first I'm like, wait a minute, you're saying the ship is the most important thing, so any person on the ship, like, lives don't matter, or nothing else matters, it's the, the physical vessel is the most important thing to you, but <laughs> I get it, it's, it's a, I don't know, not a cultural thing, but maybe a military culture thing, uh, that it's all, all one kind of unit. Also, we're led to believe that if he didn't jettison the pod, the whole ship would have been destroyed, which would have been the 430 other lives. Yeah. So, Is that it? For, I keep getting different numbers, in, I think, in different episodes. It's because they, they keep saying different numbers in different okay, episodes. Good. It's not just me. It's like, I remember 280 at one point, and then yeah. I think it was like 400 or like 430. Like, yeah, uh, the Alice in Wonderland episode, it was 
430 or something and then yeah yeah it it fluctuates a lot in the show they must have a lot of passengers they just drop off in between <laughs> in between planets <laughs> come and go. uh okay so after that sorry we divert so much segue on the other step uh, it was a boring episode, so we have to. Right. So the first half, the whole court scene in the beginning really was kind of slow and boring to me. So I'm going to kind of breeze past it in, you know, Kirk, uh, not Kirk, uh, Bones and and Spock both said their portion of it and tried to defend Kirk. And then that the female officer, I don't remember her name, came up that explained the situation between them in the past that we just talked about. And... Uh, after that, there's video evidence presented that shows uh, Kirk actually pressing the wrong button. Like it, it, he pushes the the yellow alert, and then a little bit of time goes by, and he doesn't push red alert. He just goes straight to the eject the pod, where where we saw the beautifully labeled three buttons right by his hand. <laughs> um, so after that, it's like pretty much he's he's screwed. That's that's video evidence right from the computer. It's logged as soon as it happens. Like there's no no denying it, as far as they understand. So at this point, um, and his, his lawyer is like trying to spin it. He's trying to think of like, what could we do? Like, you just gotta, you just gotta plea and we're going to find a way to get you out of this or get you at least, you know, to, to have a desk job or something like that. Something comfortable as long as you're willing to work with him. But he's like, no, no, that's silly. We're not, we're not going to plea. This is, and he doubted himself for a second. He was like, how could that be? And then he's like, no, no, no. I know what I did. I remember I was there like this, whatever this computer saying is wrong. He talks to Spock for for just a second and and tells him like, well, hopefully, but you know, not all is lost. Maybe your next captain uh, will you'll be able to beat him at chess. And I thought that was great because I mean, it obviously was big to the plot because that got Spock's wheels turning, and he's like, wait a minute, chess. And so he went right away from there and started playing chess against the computer to really test its ability. Uh, and sure enough, with that, he was able to beat the computer five times. And he explains. He explains to Bones, actually, he's like, I programmed the computer months ago to play chess, and it has all of my knowledge and ability within chess, so at, at, at least, if I'm working at 100% and I don't fail at all, then we would have a draw every time, a stalemate. But because the computer doesn't make mistakes, it's a computer, it's perfect, right? It's all programmed to operate a certain way. He's like, but the computer, knowing how to play chess as well as I do, I'm still able to beat it somehow. He beat it five times. Uh... So that right there proves that there's something wrong. He said, you know, somebody must have tampered with the with the databanks. And so he him and Bones, Bones is like, well, what are you waiting for? We need to we need to get down there. They rush to the court. They actually rush to the court and they get there right after both sides agree that they're they're done fighting. I don't remember how the terminology goes, but uh They laid their the the prosecution and the defense rested, I think oh, is what it was. That's right, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so they present this new evidence to the defendants and they're like, wait, wait, we need to, you know, show this. And it was like, ah, it's too late, but they're like, okay, we'll, we'll let you, we'll let you share it. Uh, but the, uh, defending attorney says, Hey, I can't show you here. We need to bring you back to the ship, which just, you know, is great and all. But at, like you were saying earlier, I think that's a little much for this little court case to, I mean, it was already very flexible on what they were allowing in the case. And then. Like, well, we're just going to move the whole thing to a ship. And like, no, tell me what you got to tell me or we're going to get out of here. <laughs> yeah, you think, so you think that they, since they're a military outfit, that they have their own version of military police mm-hmm. that'd be able to investigate it and be impartial mm-hmm. and not have Kirk running the ship trying to do all of this while he's on trial yeah. on the ship. Yeah. It makes no sense. Right. To be, But it, it makes for good TV, I guess. All of a sudden he has the authority to command a ship while he's currently on trial. Yeah, that's right. That's yeah. dangerous. That's a... Yeah, you can crash your ship into something if you wanted to. Or I also get that uh, the memory banks must have been messed with or whatever, but I love how this guy being good at Adobe Premiere in the 23rd century basically means that Spock can play chess. Like, the, the chess <laughs> computations in the computer were, were messed up somehow because the, 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 the records of the video don't seem like that being altered should mess with anything Right. Uh, with the, the <laughs> pastime logic of the computer. It makes very little sense, but once again, it's good TV, I suppose. Yeah, it's like he must have, you know, hacked the computer to to change the video evidence. But yeah, how, like you're saying, how does that affect the actual logical function in a chess game? Maybe, maybe I don't know. This is a stretch, but maybe he deleted like a block of data that included the 
the footage from that day or whatever, and that block missing makes it, you know, miss miss certain chess moves or something like that that now it can't comprehend. That's fair. I also play a lot of video games, and being like fixing one problem in a game can lead <laughs> to like several others. thousand other problems. Yeah, yeah, that's just how computers work. Or yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I feel you. Um, so they they bring the whole party over to the ship, and it's it's funny. This is a, another one. It's like wow, this is a big stretch. Like we're saying, there's people that could just determine this, and the whole court doesn't need to be handled on the bridge, but. Uh, they bring the court to the bridge and they send everybody off of the ship. Every crewman except for the one uh, transporter operator. So everyone's being back down to the, the starbase. And they're using sensors to uh, hear everyone's heartbeat. This is like a experimental test they want to run to see if they can track down where Finney is. Because they think he is still on the ship somewhere. If he didn't die, if he wasn't in the pod, and he might have possibly been the one altering the records. Then he must have been hiding on the ship. Um, oh, I skipped over a scene though. I man, I I lost in my notes, but um once I get talking, I just can't sit up. <laughs> but uh the scene in the um what do you call it? Not the courtroom, in the briefing room, that's what it's called, where Kirk is uh talking with or the the attorney is defending Kirk, right? Is, t- is trying to explain what he thinks is going on. And he's like, well, only you know three people can modify these records. And he asks, when you when you guys do a search, when you're trying to find somebody on the ship, you assume that they're you know injured or you know whatever. You assume they want to be found, right? They're laying in a corridor with you know bleeding from their face, and they need to be found. But what if they didn't want to be found? Could somebody actually evade a a search like that? And that was to me was like a really good scene, probably the best in the episode, because you get Kirk's like realization all of a sudden he's like what the hell oh shit yeah so he's like he whispers <laughs> possibly uh, i even wrote it down. i do have it in my notes i gotta catch up <laughs> uh cogley says could a man evade such a search and then kirk whispers possibly and just the suspense is you know the good uh score in the background and i felt like a good like kind of twist aha moment in the story uh <laughs> but that also leads me to wonder like it took until that it took the lawyer to point this this little twist out to Kirk. We have seen time and time again, Kirk is far superior mentally than most humans. He, you know, rivals Spock and in, in intellect. So why would he miss this? Like this, this seems like a dim kind of failure on, on Kirk's part. What do you think? So my, yeah, my first thought is also to say, why would he miss this? Why would Spock miss this? Why would even uh, the bridge crew miss this? But then, I think it goes to Cogley's uh, innate distrust of computers. Mm. It's like, well, it was a computer scan that was trying to find him. Mm. I don't trust that. Should Is there any reason why you wouldn't trust this? I think that's maybe what they were going for, but maybe also not because they... I don't know how their, how their sweep went when they were looking for people on the ship, if they, were, if they did a computer scan or if it was like people visibly, like visually looking for him. Um, yeah. I, I think it was, yeah, he could avoid detection from the computer because he doesn't trust computers, was his thought. Yeah, and and with with uh, Finney, you know, being one of the crewmen trusted and everything and has access to their memory banks, you would think he has the time to really plant this deep. So he could, little by little, be like removing himself from, you know, the scanner's frequency and stuff like that, making it to where, you know, even building a certain hiding spot somewhere in the ship that, he can get to that other people won't notice or something. Um, so yeah, with the time to be able to plan this, he could do a good job. I'm sure. Um, so yeah, then we, we go back to the bridge. They're using these, uh, <laughs> this prop though, this, they're using a microphone, just a very basic <laughs> microphone with no cord <laughs> attached. Uh, so they, they turn on this, the sensor sounds of, uh, of the heartbeats. You can hear, all the heartbeats on the ship. They have to turn it down because it's super loud at first. Uh, but then Bones is going from person to person, holding the microphone at their chest, and he he twists the bottom of it a little bit, and then he clicks <laughs> it on and off, and that that locks in their heartbeat, their sound of their heartbeat, so it can be uh, eliminated from the audible sound. But, For those of you that know anything about Audacity, it would be uh, 
the noise of the noise removal effect yeah. you highlight the noise that you want to take out and then you take it out that's essentially <laughs> what this microphone white noise machine was was doing i just that just was so cheap to me like the whole scene was uh, stupid i thought yeah i'm like, like it, it's it's a microphone and i get that for them at that time that was like the peak of technology everything was you know on cassette tapes and you know use microphones but this is far in the future like you, you can't at least disguise it as a different kind of prop. Like even know your greatest technology you have right now is going to be obsolete in, you know, 500 years. So that was well, disappointing. Yeah. Not the, not even just that, but the fact that wasn't the whole premise of that, of the heartbeat thing. The fact that the computer sensors could pick up the sound of it. Yeah. Wasn't it based on the sound? Yeah. So if they were talking, wouldn't it be playing that too? Or any step that anybody takes as McCoy's walking around, stepping from person to person, wouldn't it just be like, Clang, clang, clang. <laughs> Unless it automatically deleted those because you see Spock is able to delete the sensors of the transporter operator. Yeah. And stuff on. I, I don't know. It's just it leads too much to misinterpretation. Yeah. So that's a, that's another thing is I, I understand if it's able to dial into a certain frequency and just isolate that using its, you know, computer algorithm or whatever. Because we see that with their uh, like transporter technology, they lock on to life signs and the heartbeat mm. is life signs. So. Why could they first off not just scan the ship for life signs before if his are detectable by the ship? That's what they're doing. Just a very, you know, manual rudimentary way of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know. I had a second point to that. <laughs> but yeah, like the ship, the ship detects life signs. That's what it does. Now, I guess on his defense or behalf, like if Finney was hacking into the computer and able to change things, he could change the automated sweep to not detect his life signs and maybe that's why they have to do this manually but it seems but, very clunky very that's the same what we're able to tell from what he's able to modify has specifically to do with the records because he's the record keeper true so they're also if the computer is fallible and that's the point they're trying to make why rely on the computer to make that point yeah that also seemed very clunky to me yeah i don't know this was a lot of holes in this episode i'm trying to fill them but i can't find good ways to fill some of this i liked this episode now the more we talk about it the less i'm like <laughs> i know that happens sometimes <laughs> <laughs> happens every time but it's usually you that ends up liking the episode less right <laughs> um so yeah white noise machine that was just that was just kind of sad um oh and then so after this they they narrow it down they realize there's still a heartbeat even though they removed everybody and spock was able to eliminate the uh the crewman that was in the uh, transporter room, he was able to eliminate his heartbeat from the sound remotely. So why could they not keep, you know, five people in engineering and, you know, two roaming security officers or whatever, keep people where you need them to be, get rid of majority of your crew, but enough to just run on a skeleton crew. And maybe it takes 10 minutes. Okay, Spock has to isolate, you know, 10 people one minute at a time. You would keep your ship functioning while you're doing this. like Less room for misinterpretation by the... The peanut gallery that is the, <laughs> the people that have you on trial i guess yeah that's true you want to because they were able to that's true hey that's gosh you're, you're solving all the problems today because <laughs> they it's knew, not even headcanon <laughs> yeah there's only one other person that they knew of that was on the ship was in the transporter room and they could hear the erratic heart heartbeats and then they eliminate him the one so it's easy to prove like hey there's just one guy and then they still have one heartbeat left so that kind of told them finney was still there Though they weren't able to use it to like triangulate him or nothing. They still had to go on foot and search the ship after this, which I didn't understand that either. It's like you have sensors sensing a heartbeat. You would think you could say, oh, yeah, it's, you know, deck 11, section B. Like, let's just go check that out. Real quick. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Spock did say it was around engineering. It was somewhere on whatever uh, deck it was. He said it was near. So they had an okay. approximation. So I'm, I'm but wrong. it wasn't That's like it. Right. That makes more sense. It wasn't definite. Though. Yeah. Uh, okay, so, and also at this point, when Kirk goes to look for him, he tells everyone to stay on the bridge. Again, he's on trial, though we now can presume that this heartbeat is the guy that we think is dead, so Kirk's probably innocent, but we know that they have beef with each other. Why would everyone just stay on the bridge and let this guy go settle it? You know, I'm going to take care of this my way, <laughs> and uh, that was just, not to mention, I, I, his, his daughter, Finney's daughter, is on board. For that exact express reason. She's only there 
to calm him down if they find him or to to comfort him if they find him or you know whatever and they don't he doesn't go she doesn't go with uh kurt like if you're gonna find him she should be there with you like that's the whole point but it's the whole point as far as we understand it but it might also be just you know like we see later it's a a safety like backup safety that she's on the board there should have been security like involved from the get-go yeah like He's on trial, even if they don't think he's a flight risk. He's on the bridge of his starship, and he would know how to be a flight risk if he wanted to be. Right. He could have easily gotten away. There should have been security there, mm-hmm. and there should have been security going to get Finney from engineering, because that's their job. Yeah. I mean, that's what they do. They probably would have died because security wears red shirts in this series, but that, that's that's their job, man. <laughs> right. How hard would it be for Herc to just beam off the rest of the people that are that are there and then just take the ship on his own? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so after picking it to pieces, uh, mm-hmm. the Kirk finds Finney. They, he gets to engineering, and Finney actually sneaks up on him and puts a gun to his back. Uh, I noticed it, or a phaser, not a gun. I noticed at this point too. Uh, Finney was was speaking, uh, not quite narrating, but he was like, uh, you know, speaking loud enough with it, with the echo and everything. Kirk could hear him. He sounded to me like Stan Lee. Did you get that? Like a young Stan Lee? I didn't pick that up until i saw it on your notes i'm like yeah that, that <laughs> is very similar there's a lot of similarities in the voice there yeah, yeah. it was funny it just reminded me of like his you know early narrations and shows and comics and stuff but anyways uh <laughs> so finney holds a gun to his to his back a phaser uh to his back and then they kirk tries to be how do you say it uh diplomatic and tell him to calm down but we need to we need to save the ship and all this stuff he explains it uh he he uh, sabotaged the ship, so all of its energy has been drained, and it's going to decay in orbit till it crashes into the planet or burns up in the atmosphere. Uh, so, oh crap, you got to hurry up. He doesn't know that his daughter's on board, so now he thought, "Oh, I'm going to die, but I'm going to take all you, you know, all you captains with me." Uh, and yeah, now his daughter's going to die too. So he kind of freaks out, gets uh, emotional, and. Kirk takes that opportunity to karate chop him, get the gun out of his hand, wrestle him to the ground. Then they're both fighting uh, back and forth for a while. Eventually, uh, Kirk wins. Finney gets you know tired and gives up and tells him exactly how he sabotaged the ship. Uh, at that point, we see Kirk goes, runs in, you know, crawls into a Jeffrey's tube and is trying to fix the sabotage. What did you think about that Jeffrey's tube scene? At first, for me, it was really disappointing. But then when I looked at it more, I thought, that's, that's not too bad. That's actually half decent for TOS standards. What do you think? Yeah, I mean the scene was okay, but I thought that the it was weird that the fix was to pull hose out of electric <laughs> like out of electrical panels. Yeah, like <clears throat> I, usually that's how you sabotage something in a show like this is by pulling the cables or in this case rubber ho- black rubber hose yeah. out of <laughs> yeah. something and you fix it by trying to hotwire things like Jimmy rig it all back together. Right. and so it, it was. Yeah, only, very quick. Only thing I could think of, so like really large gauge cable is that big, though we could see the way it was moving. That wasn't cable. That was just like a rubber hose. It was soft. Um, but I can imagine that, that Finney just kind of took big cable and jabbed it between these two, cause a dead short, and all the you know, all the energy's getting bypassed, you know, passes the engines or whatever and drains. Um, so Kirk just has to like remove it to, you know, stop the short and then the energy will be saved. Yeah, that makes sense with the sparks and everything too. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But so I think the hose was was too cheap. Like it should have been more rigid or something like that. But the actual the sparks and the the light effects looked pretty believable. I liked that. So when I was looking at it afterwards, I was like, oh, that's that's actually not as bad as I thought it was at first. So I've seen it in other episodes where they have like sparks going off on the side mm-hmm. and they it's out of frame. It looks like there's just somebody welding off camera. <laughs> Probably like, is. you see the flashes <laughs> and some a few sparks flying up. This actually looked like they legitimately did something to cause sparks, mm-hmm. and it was just happening right above Kirk. Like it did look good. Yeah, like, like they actually installed like pyrotechnic devices to cause yeah. sparks. Right. Uh, yeah, that was. I thought it was pretty good. Um, okay, so then we go to the bridge, and they're saying that everything's stabilized. The uh, was it Stone Commodore Stone says that he's going to dismiss this court. They found you know they found the guy alive. So, I mean that's kind of a quick way to wrap it up he probably should this should be a formal report and everything done later i'm sure um and so yeah everything's okay they saved the day uh oriel kisses kirk on the bridge there's a little back and forth of them being all romantic and stuff 
and uh, asking, you know, will it be okay? Will 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 there be an uprising or something like that? If uh, if the long lost love, you know, kisses her her the captain on his bridge, and then uh, Kirk kind of looks around afterwards, is like, nope, everything's still okay. <laughs> it's just kind of cute, but uh, then they say their goodbyes, and the Enterprise carries on her journey. Yeah, I I don't like the entire. Kirk knows every single attractive woman in the galaxy and has a past with them. <laughs> yeah. And everything's always fine between them at the end. And it's just something about it. It's just way too convenient in an episode like this. Yeah. And I see it's but. a, it's a fantasy of like a sixties generation. Like all men probably wanted to be him. Like I'm sure Gene Roddenberry, that was like Kirk was like Gene Roddenberry was living his life vicariously through <laughs> James T. Kirk. Yeah. I'm sure that's how it was. Yeah. But yeah, it's like eh, I I like the excitement, the the dramas and stuff like that, and I don't mind some romance in the story. But I would like it to be that he has meaningful, a, yeah, an ongoing interest with somebody, and he has to you know go out of his way to get back to her, and then she gives him something a special charm that he looks at every once in a while because he remembers how much he loves her. And now he's trying fighting to save the ship, but also he he balances his love for his ship versus his love for this woman or something. That would be cool, something a little more deep, but. He can only he can only love his ship, you know. It's always top priority, so he can't dedicate himself to a woman. I think every other iteration of Star Trek after the original series has a romance, and most of the time it's not to do with the captain. In fact, I don't think any of it is, with the exception of Deep Space Nine. There's a romance there with uh, Cisco. I almost forgot Cisco. Yeah, I was <laughs> gonna say with Captain Brooks, but his name is Avery Brooks. He's the actor, <laughs> Captain Cisco. Yeah. Um, I think every other iteration of Star Trek learned from this and had like a, an actual romance going on. I think it was every single one besides Lower Decks. Yeah. And even... No, even Lower Decks to an extent. Yeah. <laughs> even like on, on uh, Voyager, Janeway had like that romance with the hologram and then... Uh, I was thinking Bellana and Tom. And Tom, yeah, that was good. And then that little kind of awkwardness between... There was always something with Seven of Nine between uh, Harry or Chicote. And then and Tom Tom with the uh, cast before she left. Well, even in Discovery, uh, Captain Burnham's got a a love interest. Yeah. Since the beginning of season three, so. When analyzing humanity, you got to include that somewhere. Yeah. Like it. All right. So, uh, what kind of rating did you give this episode? I think I'm gonna give it a B plus. I th- there were a lot of things to pick apart, a lot of plot holes, but that's just how Star Trek was back then. Yeah. I like being able to see the inner workings of Starfleet and like the behind the scenes of it, it felt like it was a behind the scenes peak at Starfleet and the Federation. And I love that kind of stuff, especially in earlier Star Treks when we're kind of expected to use our imagination to fill in the gaps. A lot of it, we were told a lot of how things work in this episode, yeah. specifically with court marshalling. But yeah, I, I liked it a lot. There was the, the, the microphone prop was not great. <laughs> I it really still weirds me out how good of a phaser that they have, even though it looks like a glorified hot glue gun. <laughs> it it looks a lot better and it fits the fits the setting a lot more than a lot of the other props that they use. Yeah, decent episode. Yeah, B plus. I agree. I like how it's kind of established a little bit more of this structure, this background, you know, story that we don't get the depth behind uh, Starfleet. Uh, but to me, it was kind of slow. So I give it a B. At least the first half of the episode was pretty slow. It got kind of exciting once there was that that turn when they're like, oh, crap, he's still alive. we got to find him. Uh, but yeah, so I just gave it a solid B. That was pretty good. Yeah. Uh, do you have a moral or message in this story? Uh, don't trust technology. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I think you're, the, the way that you have it written, I didn't want to steal it from you, but the <laughs> way you have it written is probably the perfect for it so I'll, I'll let you give that all right all right so i put down a machine is no more perfect than the man who wields it bam yeah. oh yeah nailed it yeah. that was right right uh right on the money yeah, but, yeah I, mean, I, I couldn't think of anything else besides you know don't put hose in electrical panels <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> and be careful uh what women you date because someday they might be your prosecuting attorney <laughs> <laughs> evidently yeah, yeah bad. but i like it i like it all right Overall, pretty darn good episode. Um, all right. Well, thank you all for joining us. If you like what you heard, please you know, follow us and subscribe. Uh, check us out on geekfreakspodcast.com. We're also on uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. We're all over the place. 
Uh, send us questions if you guys have any questions you want us to read at the beginning of the episode, or if you uh, just have questions about how we do what we do. Uh, let us know. We'd love to engage with you guys. Uh, and check us out on our next episode for Season 1, Episode 21, The Return of Archons. All right. Until then, transporter room, two to beam out.